Today on Focal Point with Pastor Mike Fabares. Lean on your perfect friend, because that's your only place to go when the people you thought were your best friends let you down. And you've got to go there. You've got to retreat there in the silence of your home. In the, in the quiet times, early in the morning, you've got to say, God, I need you. Late at night, when you're lonely and feel cr- criticized and you feel abandoned and you feel attacked and betrayed, you've you got, you got to lean on God. When it seems like the entire world is against you, it's easy to feel helpless and abandoned. But the truth is, you're never alone. God promises to always be there for you and to never betray you. Today on Focal Point, Pastor Mike Fabares is teaching us how to respond to the crushing disappointment we all experience at one time or another when we reach out and don't receive the help we're hoping for. Here's Pastor Mike with a message, what to do when your team isn't much help. We've shared our hearts, spilled your guts at a small group. One person call you? No. Anybody write you a letter? No. Next Sunday, anybody say how it's going? Not a person, not one person. And you feel abandoned. You feel ripped off. You feel like you tried to reach out for help and no one helped you. I put it this way in your outline. Jot it down. Give friends the benefit of the doubt. Write that down. Give friends the benefit of the doubt. You know what that is? That's the opposite of writing them off. Writing them off is, you know what? I don't, I don't need those guys then. Obviously, they're not my friends then. I'm not going back to that small group Bible study and sharing anything about my life again. I'm certainly not going to tell them my problems if obviously they're not even interested. And I asked them to pray and they said they would. And you know what? They didn't even ask me about it. When I mentioned it again, he acted like he didn't even know what I was talking about. Now, you realists out there heard me say, give your friends the benefit of the doubt. And your eyes kind of rolled back, right? Oh, <laughs> you know, because you know that oftentimes people are more into themselves. And you're kind of concerned about that imperative that I've just laid out for you because you know people do fail you. And I've experienced that. And you know what? I'm not denying that. What I'm telling you is that you're smarter to give your friends the benefit of the doubt. You know why? Because more times than not, you will be right in giving them the benefit of the doubt. Let me prove it to you. Here's an example from David's life. Turn back, if you would, to 2 Samuel. But instead of going all the way back to chapter 16, stop in chapter 19 and let me show you what happens. If we could roll the tape forward and see this scenario coming on the other end. In other words, the Absalom rebellion is now quelled. It's all over. It's quashed. And here comes David back into Jerusalem, marching back into Jerusalem. Now with, with his son Absalom dead, obviously bitterness and heaviness of heart in David's chest, but he's coming back and he's going to take the throne and there's no more rebellion, no more uprising in the nation. And as he's coming back, guess in chapter 19, verse 24, who meets him? Look at it, verse 24. Uh-oh, Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth, Saul's grandson, David's son, or Jonathan's son, also went down to meet the king. Now notice, this is a very important historical notation. He had not taken care of his feet or trimmed his mustache or washed his clothes from the day the king left until he returned safely. Now, if he was really looking to jockey for a position in the kingdom with Absalom, do you think he'd walk around like that? 
David is meeting Mephibosheth and he looks like a stinking mess. His mustache all out of whack. His feet just totally crudded over. His clothes, man, they're ugly and dirty and he stinks. And Dave says, wow, what's going on? And it was clear what was going on. He was mourning over David's departure. He was hurting. And he was hurting because he was loyal to David. And David says, look at this next verse. Why didn't you go with me, Mephibosheth? And he said, my lord, the king, since I, your servant, am lame, I, I told my servant Ziba to get the donkey and saddle it up and I'd ride on it. But, but he didn't do it. I was, was going to come with you, but, but, but Ziba, he betrayed me. And he's also slandered me to, to you. I mean, I, I wasn't betraying you. Look at me. My Lord, the King, you know, I mean, in my eyes, you're the greatest. You're like an angel of God. So do whatever pleases you. Whatever you decide to do, if you want to believe him, that's fine. But I've been faithful and loyal to you. All my grandfather's descendants deserve nothing from you but death. But you gave your servant a place among those who sat at your table. So what right do I have to make any appeals to you, the king? The king said, why say more? In reality, saying, please don't say any more, right? How painful. Now I've already given all your stuff to Ziba. I don't know what to do. Just split your stuff up. And Mephibosheth said to the king, hey, man, let him take everything. Now that my lord, the king, has arrived home safely, that's all I cared about. Man, I've been praying for you, been mourning over you. Do you see how embarrassing a situation this is? David had written him off and given away all of his stuff. And guess who was in Jerusalem without any way to get out of Jerusalem, praying and mourning and caring every day for David and his safety? Mephibosheth. You know that sometimes you share your heart with someone and they don't respond in the way you expect them to. And you know, it's not that they don't care. It's that sometimes they don't know how to respond. They literally care, but they don't know, they don't know how to respond. They don't know what to say. Sometimes they can't respond. Here's all I'm saying to you. Give your friends the benefit of the doubt. Because when you're in crisis, I think your tendency is, I have a need and I need it met now. And that myopic attitude, that myopic emotion keeps you from recognizing that sometimes people can't respond in the prescribed way that you think they should respond. And there's lots of factors involved. Give your friends the benefit of the doubt. Because more times than not, you'll be right. They do care. They just weren't able to help you the way you expected them to when you expected them to. Verse 5, 2 Samuel 16. As King David approached Baharim, a man came from the clan of Saul's family, and he came out from there. His name was Shimei, and he cursed as he came out. And he pelted David and all the king's officials with stones, though all his troops and the special guard were on David's right and left. As he cursed, Shimei said, Get out, get out, you man of blood, you scoundrel. Yahweh has repaid you for all the blood you shed in the household of Saul, in whose place you've reigned. Yahweh has handed the kingdom over to your son Absalom. You've come to ruin because you are a man of blood. <laughs> wow. You know, you're down, and now you got this guy kicking. You know, you got to note he's not a Philistine. He's not a Gittite. He's not any kind of foreigner here. He's an Israelite. He is throwing stones at the only sanctioned, anointed king of Israel. He ought to be on your side, and he's not. He's that guy who you really don't know that well. When you expect him to help, he doesn't help. What he says hurts. And he gives his little armchair commentary on what your real problem is. You ever see this happening in the church? It happens all the time. You get a problem in your life, you share it with some people. You don't know them that well, but their response is very instructive. You know, if you had more faith in God, those kinds of things, you know, they wouldn't bother you. Or, you know, you share some issue with them and they say, well, 
you know, uh, are you even in the Word, man? You know, you spend time in the Bible? Because I can't imagine that that, you know, you'd be struggling with that. Or they say things like this. You know, when I was an immature Christian, I had those problems too. They say, you know, something must be really wrong in your life if you're having all those things happen to you. There must be some sin there. We often think of Job being this great example of a godly man, but you know, his friends wore him down. First chapter, oh, praise God, he gives, he takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. By chapter six, he's fed up, right? These guys come in, try and help him. And he says, miserable comforters are you all. Just go home. He compares them to a well that travelers pass by and try to go get a drink out of, and they find that it's dry. He says, that's what you guys are like. Here's how he puts it. You're of no help. And sometimes we have people trying to parse and define our Christian life with their little interpretations of why we're struggling. And basically, we feel like they've just called us an idiot for not having a spare tire. You know what I'm saying? What's wrong with you? You know what our natural reaction is when people do that to us? It's spelled out in the next verse. I love it. Abishai. Abishai in David's army, son of Zeruiah, says to the king, why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over, here's the feeling we have, and cut off his head. <laughs> you gotta like a man of action like that. <laughs> Let me just lop his head off. Now I'm the king and I'm probably gonna say something like this. Hurry back, right? <laughs> sure. Because you know what? I have not shed any of Saul's blood. I am not a man of blood. I've been good to Saul and his descendants. This guy does not have his facts straight. What is wrong with him? Let's fight. You want to fight about this? Especially because I got the truth and I got the equipment on my side. You want to criticize me? I'm going to fight back. I don't want you thinking that about my life because you're wrong. You know what? That seems to be a natural reaction, and Abishai has it, but that is not a godly reaction. And though David had a snap judgment and he jumped to conclusions with Mephibosheth, I think his response here is very godly. Verse 10, King says, man, you and I are so different. What do you and I have in common? You sons of Zeruiah. He says that because Zeruiah's other son is Joab, and Joab was the guy that in a fit of rage killed Abner, Saul's right-hand man. I don't remember all that, but I mean, there are a couple of hotheads. And he says, you know what? We're not into revenge and retaliation here. It's not time for that. And then he puts this little theological thought in it. He said, if his cursing is because Yahweh said to him, curse David, then who can ask, why do you do this? Did you hear what he just said? What if God wants him to be saying that to me? If God wants him to be criticizing me right now, who in the world can shut him down? What is he saying? It's interesting. He's got this bent toward, maybe I should listen a little bit to what he's saying. Maybe there's a nugget of truth in this. Oh, I know I haven't killed Saul's descendants, but maybe it's time for that. As a matter of fact, look at the circumstances of my life. Perhaps it's time for me to be hearing some things from God. Verse 11, David says to Abishai and all his officials, my son, my own flesh and blood, Absalom, he, he's trying to take my life. How much more than this Benjamite? Leave him alone. Let him curse, for Yahweh has told him to. Or at least he's assuming he might be. And if Yahweh has told him to, and I'm not going to be the king anymore, this is my kick in the pants on the way out, then fine, I'll bear it. But, he says, it may be that the Lord will see my distress. In other words, it may be that this is not appropriate criticism. And then, you know what? God will take care of me. He'll repay me with good for the cursing I'm receiving today. Wow. What a perspective. Right? That's not cutting off the head of your critic. 
That's really taking a careful look at what's being said and rejecting what's not true, looking for what is, and even if nothing is true, you know what it's led you to? It's led you to a deeper sense of commitment and dependence on God. It's led you to a new level of soul searching in your own life to see if everything's really where it needs to be. I put it this way in your ally number two, don't be defensive. Because you know, when you end up being defensive, you never learn from the criti critical remarks. You never use them, even if they're not true. You never get to use them as stepping stones to spiritual growth. As a matter of fact, what happens is you waste all your energy in dealing with your crisis at shaking your fist at the guy who called you an idiot for not having a spare tire in your trunk. Don't worry about that guy. Don't worry about what they think. Don't worry about what they say. Let them drive on and think you're an idiot. But you know what? The bottom line is you got a tire to fix, so you got to work on that. And in your crisis, there'll be lots of people squawking at you about what your problem is and the reason you're having marital problems or the reason you're infertile or the reason you got financial problems or the reason you're not making it at work and they got all these opinions about it. You know what? Just listen. Maybe God's got truth there. Maybe he doesn't. But the bottom line is, if you're being unduly criticized, God will take care of you and reward you if you're patient and self-controlled. And if it's true, then you can learn from some of that. But it's not worth fighting. Don't be defensive. So David puts up with it. Verse 13, David and his men continued along the road while Shimei was going along the hillside opposite him, cursing him as he went, throwing stones and showering him with dirt. Can you see this? And the king and all the people with him finally arrived at their destination exhausted. And there, David refreshed himself. Meanwhile, verse 15, Absalom and all the men of Israel came to Jerusalem. Here's the upstart rebel king, the son of David, the wayward son of David. Here's the most painful sentence in this whole text. And Ahithophel was with him. And that's painful because, as I told you before, Ahithophel was one of David's best friends. Ahithophel was one of David's most trusted advisors. Ahithophel was the right-hand man sitting in the cabinet of the Israeli government with David. And he was not only a trusted advisor, he was a good companion. He was a friend. And now he's distanced himself from David. And he has been taken into the rebellion by Absalom, and now he's the advisor to his rebel son. Now David's got a friend, Hushai the Archite there, that's trying to help him out, and that's explained in 16 through 19. More on that next week. But look at verse 20. Absalom turns to Ahithophel and says, you know what, I need your advice now. We're in the city, we've come into Jerusalem, we're here, we've got most of Israel behind us, but what should I do now? And Ahithophel answers and he says, i got a plan. Can you imagine this? Now picture this coming from the mouth of your former best friend. I know what you should do. You should lie with your father's concubines whom he left to take care of the palace. Remember, there were 10 ladies that were left to take care of the palace. They were David's concubines. And he says, I know what you should do. You know, if you would just lie with them, all of Israel would hear about that. And you know what? You would burn the ships. You would burn the bridges. It would be clear there's no turning back and that you were shaking your fist at Dave. And you know what? The rebellion would be firmly established. You'd become a stench in your father's nostrils and the hands of everyone with you would be strengthened. So, based on Ahithophel's advice, they pitched a tent for Absalom on the roof, and the unthinkable happened. He laid up there on the top with this big awning that was set up so that everyone could see him, and he sat there all afternoon and had sex with David's concubines. Thanks, best friend. Appreciate that. That's betrayal. How deep of a betrayal is it? Look at the next verse. In those days, the advice of Ahithophel, the advice Ahithophel gave was like that of one who inquires of God. I mean, <laughs> his advice was gold. 
That was how both David in former times and Absalom now regarded all of Ahithophel's advice. David had his complete confidence in Ahithophel, and now David's son Absalom is putting his complete confidence in Ahithophel, and that advice is sitting there and destroying David and turning all of Israel against him. And it is a kind of betrayal that needs only one basic response. And unfortunately, in our passage, the historical narrative does not record it for us. But it's almost too sacred to be stuck here in a list of facts about the history of David's life. And so it's relegated to Psalm 55, a psalm that he probably wrote by the moonlight sitting out at the fords of the Jordan River with a heart aching and tears flowing down the sides of his cheeks and onto his beard. And David said, I know what it's like to be betrayed. And turn there with me and look at these words. Psalm 55, David writes this about Ahithophel. Even the ancient, most ancient translations of the Old Testament have Ahithophel's name scribbled in the margins. And all the rabbis and scholars for, for years have known that the person David is talking about in Psalm 55 is Ahithophel. And look at what David says. Drop your eyes down in this passage to verse number 12. David says, you know, if it were an enemy that was insulting me, I could endure it. And he's proved that, hadn't he? Shimei wants to come out and throw some dirt clods at me. You know, I can handle that. If it were a, a foe that were raising himself up against me, I, I could hide from him. But it's you. It's you, Ahithophel. My companion, a man like myself, my, my close friend, the friend with whom I once enjoyed sweet fellowship. Man, we went to church together. We studied the Bible together. We prayed together. We walked among the throng at the house of God. David says, let death take my enemies by surprise. Let them go down alive into the grave, for evil finds lodging with them. Look at verse 16. But, but, you know what? I'll call on God. And Yahweh saves me. I, evening and morning and noon, I'll, I'll cry out in my distress. And, and he hears my voice. He ransoms me unharmed from the battle waged against me, even though many oppose me. Verse 20. My companions, they, they attack their friends. And he, Ahithophel, violates his covenant with me. His friendship with me is busted up. His speech, it was as smooth as butter, yet there was war in his heart. There must have been. His words were soothing like oil, and yet underneath all that were drawn swords. I can't believe it. You want to know David's advice for someone who's been betrayed? Here it is, coming up, verse 22. Here's some good words for you to underline. When the worst happens and the guy you expect to count on or the gal you expect to count on in the time of trouble, who's your best buddy, ends up sabotaging your life. Look at it. Cast your cares on Yahweh. He will sustain you. David knew it well. Psalm 27 says the same thing. If my mother and father forsake me, and in that case he says they do, you know what will happen? The Lord will take me up. Oh, I trust in friends, and I'm not negating or opposing anything I said last week. We are to lean on the body of Christ, and, and David is still exercising that kind of mentality. He's got Hushai in, in, in there with Ahithophel. He's, he's got, uh, he's got the uh, Abathar, the priest, and Zadok, the priest, and their two sons working for him. He, he's got friends. He's leaning on his companions. But when the best friend that he's had in the past ends up being a betrayer, there's nowhere else to go but to God. Oh, he's not shutting everybody out. He's not saying, I won't trust anybody ever again. But he does have a pain that no other friendship can replace. And in that pain, he says, I've got to trust on God. I've got to cast my cares on Yahweh. And I know he'll sustain me. Look at these next words. He will never let the righteous fall. You know what? He's going to pick me up. He's not going to let me be utterly broken. Look at these last words in verse 23. But as for me, you know, whatever else you do to take care of this guy, that's your business. But God, as for me, uh, I trust. I trust in you. I trust in you and I'm going to do what you want me to do and I'm going to believe that you're a God 
that can pick me up when everyone else lets me down. I put it this way in your outline, number three. Lean on your perfect friend because that's your only place to go when the people you thought were your best friends let you down. And you've got to go there. You've got to retreat there in the silence of your home. In the, in the quiet times, early in the morning, you've got to say, God, I need you. Late at night when you're lonely and feel cr- criticized and you feel abandoned and you feel attacked and betrayed, you've you got, you got to lean on God. You got to say, God, I know you're the kind of God and Christ, you, the one knowing the pain of betrayal or the kind of Christ that said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. The last words of Matthew, lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. I'm going to be there no matter what. He said in the book of John, I'll never leave you orphans. You're not going to be alone. And you're going to have to lean on your perfect friend. There's a man named Henry Dempsey who... uh, commuted often from Portland, Maine to Boston. And he got his commuter plane and he was flying to Boston. And on the way, as they were going over the Atlantic coast there, he uh, heard a rattling in the back of the plane. Decided to go and take a look. And so he did. And he went to the little portal window there that's in the middle of the back door. And he looked out at the wing, the back tail, tail wing to see if he could see anything. But Henry was in for a a huge surprise because it wasn't the tail that was rattling. It was the door that was rattling. And they hit an air pocket. True story. The door flung open and sucked Henry right out of the plane. Lights come on on the front board of the cockpit. Pilot sees what's going on. He gets on his radio. Oh, my goodness. He wires uh, uh, or radios rather for the nearest airport. I need an emergency landing. I need it right now. And by the way, I need helicopters to go back and look for this guy. And he gave his coordinates and told them where to search for this guy. They turned the plane back and they went to the nearest airport and they landed safely. Interesting thing they found. Mr. Dempsey had actually caught the ladder rung on the outside of the plane and was hanging on when they landed. You're listening to Focal Point. Pastor Mike Fabares has titled today's message, What to Do When Your Team Isn't Much Help. We're learning to lean on God because it's our only place to go when everyone else lets us down. For more verse-by-verse Bible teaching or to share this message with a friend, visit focalpointradio.org. You can also download the Focal Point mobile app and listen on the go. We're so grateful for those of you in our listening audience who give to support this Bible teaching program so it continues broadcasting to everyone free of charge. Here's a recent letter we received from Lorraine, who listens to Focal Point in Mississippi. She said, Thank you so very much for your incredible ministry. I found you during COVID and have been so challenged, encouraged, more focused, and convicted by your ministry. Thank you to all that keep this ministry going. Well, if you've been strengthened and equipped through this program, will you raise your hand and partner with us to reach even more people with the truth of Scripture? You can join the mission right now by calling us at 888-320-5885 or donate online at focalpointradio.org. To say thanks for your support today, we'd like to send you a book written by Pastor Mike called Lifelines for Tough Times. If you've ever wondered why God allows suffering, I think you'll be encouraged and strengthened through the stories, personal experiences, and biblical teaching Mike shares in this book. 
Just call 888-320-5885. That's 888-320-5885. Or go to focalpointradio.org. If you prefer sending your donation by mail, write to Focal Point, Post Office Box 2850, Laguna Hills, California, 92654. By the way, if you've never let us know you're listening before, today's a great day to connect. When you do, we're going to send you a special gift, a CD message from Pastor Mike's Lifelines for Tough Times series. It's called God's Presence and Help When You Hurt. Request your free CD when you call 888-320-5885 or find it online at focalpointradio.org. Well, I'm Dave Drewy, inviting you to join us again Wednesday for Focal Point. Hi, Pastor Mike here. God's Word promises it'll never return void. So I wonder, how is God's Word moving in your heart right now? Drop us a line. Let us know. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to be praying for you here. Just go to focalpointradio.org and then be sure to join us again tomorrow right here as we continue to explore the depths of Scripture. We'll see you then. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Focal Point Ministries.